Welcome to Poptopia. Welcome to Poptopia, your podcast for all things pop culture. I'm your host, Paul French, and it is Friday, November 30th, 2007. On today's show, writers reject the latest offer. One of Sid Caesar's own goes back to stars and bars, and that reindeer that ran over grandma is getting his ass dragged into court. Okay, so let's start off with the with the lighter story. Um, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. The uh, writer, Elmo Shropshire, um, which makes me think of the Shropshire slasher from the Bugs Bunny thing. It's apropos of nothing, but I'm just saying, Shropshire, come on. Uh, anyway, he's being sued. Uh, there's a company that says that they had the right to make products that are based on the TV show with a little cartoon that's based on the song. And of course, um, you know, I mean, everybody loves the song, right? Uh, anyway, Elmo Shropshire has been sued for breach of contract by a company that's claiming he interfered in a $1 million plus deal to sell musical trucks, bobblehead dolls, snow globes, and cookie jars featuring the characters from the, uh, the cartoon show that's based on his song. So, of course, the whole thing is Santa mows down a uh, tipsy grandma with his sleigh. Uh, the song came out in 1979. It's become a holiday favorite. And in in uh, 2000, uh, they came out with an animated TV show. And it, of course, runs every year because, you know, hey, we still get the... Uh... You know, actually, now that I think of it, I, I think there's a couple of the Rankin and Bass shows that, that don't air because of this. And, and, and I'm not okay with that because I love, I love me those Rankin and Bass shows. They, they were a lot of fun. Anyway, um... The Fred Rappaport Company of California is saying that they have the rights to use the song for products that feature the characters from that program. And uh, they're saying that there was a lawsuit that uh, Shropshire had, f- had filed in 2004, and Rappaport's company got those specific rights under the settlement for that uh, lawsuit. The new lawsuit, they're looking for $2 million in damages, and it was uh, filed in Los Angeles County Superior Court and contends that uh, Shropshire has said he uh, sent season or that they say that Shropshire had sent them cease and desist letters uh, to two of the companies that had made a deal with Rappaport to make uh, products products that feature the characters from that show. Um, and of course, Shropshire says all he's doing is legally enforcing his rights to the song. Rappaport can sell any characters he wants from the movie, but I own the, the copyright from the song, and he can't use that without my permission. And that's kind of fair. I mean, it's you know, if if it's actually you know, if it's a, a little thing that plays a part of the song. I can see where uh, where he wants uh, to to make sure that that he's got the rights for that. Anyway, so that's what's going on there. Uh, no sort of word on on how that's turned out as yet. Uh, one of Sid Caesar's own goes back to Stars and Bars. Stars and Bars is of course the uh, the famous band that uh, that Sid Caesar was in, and uh, and and it's what he used to always say to his writers: is is we got to write a good show because otherwise I got to go back to Stars and Bars. I don't want to go back to Stars and Bars. So Mel Tolkien, who was the head writer for Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows, and they say that this this defined the art of sketch comedy way back in uh, the golden age of television, uh, died recently uh, back on Monday uh, at the age of 94. Uh, he died of heart failure at his Century City home. He spent nearly half a century in showbiz beginning in the 30s. He used to play in Montreal jazz clubs, uh, wrote comedy for Bob Hope, Jerry Lewis, Danny Kaye, and Danny Thomas, and was actually a writer and story editor in the 70s on All in the Family. That I didn't know. Um, when he worked with Sid Caesar, he contributed to the show The Admiral Broadway Review in 1949 and also wrote for your show of shows from 1950 to 54, including the theme song, and for Caesar's Hour, which ran from 54 to 57. Uh, of course, everyone remembers, uh, everyone's seen some of the sketches which pair uh, Sid Caesar and Imogene Coca, and uh, I mean, they still show these things. Um, 
And of course, in 1973, they did a theatrical compilation film, 10 from your show of shows, and they've released a bunch of them on DVD, the whole bit. Um, uh, Tolkien's son said uh, he was most proud of his professionalism. Of course, he was very proud of his association with Caesar and his association with the birth of the golden age of television. Uh, Sid Caesar, uh, age 85, said that Tolkien was an, a tremendous asset. He was a very talented man and worked really hard. Now, here's the neat thing. On your show of shows, he was the head writer. The other guys that he worked with in that writer's room, Neil Simon, Mel Brooks, Woody Allen, and Larry Gelbart, who, of course, created MASH, and, well, he also wrote Tootsie. Um, they worked basically in a pressure cooker atmosphere, and... Um, they had to create material for the the ninety minute show, and uh, and and had to satisfy Sid Caesar, who was notoriously difficult. Uh, the experience inspired Simon's play Laughter on the Twenty Third Floor, and was fictionalized in the nineteen eighty two movie My Favorite Year. And if you haven't seen My Favorite Year, you've got to. A lot of fun. Uh, Tolkien said in 1995, uh, he told the Times, there was a creative anger in the room. We had an acoustic ceiling. People would throw their pencils at it in frustration. One time, I counted thirty nine pencils hanging from the ceiling. Uh, Mel Brooks said that Tolkien had a brushstroke of genius. He was never uh, a Bob Hope contemporary. It was always the human condition, what happened in the human heart, and he taught me that. Uh, Tolkien received several Emmy nominations and shared uh, an Emmy with several colleagues in 1967 for the Sid Caesar, Imogene Coca, Carl Reiner, Howard Morris special. He was born uh, Samuel, Samuel Tol Tolchinsky in the Ukraine in 1913, and the family moved to Montreal when he was in his teens. He studied accounting after high school, but also wrote for musical reviews, using the name Mel Tolkien so his parents wouldn't find out. Uh, he leaves a son, who is also uh, Stephen, who is also a TV writer and director, and uh, his wife, Edith. He's got a brother named Saul, Tol Saul Tol Tolchinsky. Wow, I really can't say that name. And four grand uh, grandchildren. So... Um, there we go. Another another great uh, sees the end. Um, okay, Thirty Rock, loving Thirty Rock lately. I, I just recently got the uh, the first season DVD box set, and I've been watching through that and loving it a lot more than I did at first. And I think it's one of those shows that, that you know these things sort of get confounded by expectations, and um, and and they had a really good mix of uh, of the humor and the and the sketch show, but the. the thing i love about it is that they rarely focus if ever on the on the actual sketch show and it is all the behind the scenes stuff and that's really what we want to see um anyway they've been really uh ever since the beginning they've been talking a lot about the whole product placement issue and they did a re you know in the first season they had an episode where they were drinking snapple at the, at the writer's room table and they kept talking about you know are we going to bring snapple into this and they would sort of hold it up beside them in sort of that whole wayne's world um product placement uh way Anyway, most recently, uh, November 15th, um, Alec Baldwin and Tina Fey, playing, of course, D Jack Donaghy and Liz Lemon, sang the praises of Verizon Wireless before Fey looked right into the camera and said, can we have our money now? And it was just classic. It was just a really great um, way to, you know, they, they, they talk about integration. And integration is kind of the holy grail of product, product placement. It's where, you know, you see the character using an Apple computer. You see them using a Verizon phone. You see them drinking a Snapple. All these kind of things. Um, anyway. <laughs> it does indeed imitate life. Verizon said it handed over an integration fee to NBC in addition to some marketing support for the mini commercial within one of the network's hottest shows. They say one of the hottest shows, but the ratings have been terrible, and uh, and it worries me because it's a great show. But the scene in question, uh, you've got uh, Jack Donaghy saying, these Verizon wireless phones are so popular, I accidentally grabbed one belonging to an acquaintance. 
And uh, to which Liz says, well, sure, that Verizon wireless service is just unbeatable. If I saw a phone like that on TV, I'd be like, where's my nearest retailer so I can get one? And then she does the plea for the cash. And, I, and it was just it was just a classic bit of uh, product placement and poking fun at just the whole the whole uh, idea of it, because you wonder how some sometimes, uh, you know, writers can get sort of cowed into these things. But at least what they're doing is is making it a, a natural outgrowth. And then they, they, they made something funny of it. Lots of fun. Anyway, it's not it's not, of course, uh, at all uh, uncommon for this show to to take care of it. I've mentioned the Snapple one that they did, and of course there is uh, uh, the fact that they they're constantly mentioning mentioning GE because of course this does take place on NBC, and uh, and so they're really making sure that they uh, that they get as many plugs in, sometimes at the detriment of their uh, of their uh, parent company, which is a lot of fun. Anyway, so that's uh, that's kind of what's going on there, and uh, I just love the fact that Verizon was like, "Yeah, okay, you got your money." Um, speaking of mobile phones and the like, uh, Blockbuster is in talks with handset makers. Uh, they're in talk with all the uh, major mobile phone makers about partnerships aimed at making it easier for consumers to watch movies on the go. And I'm reminded of a of a great line from uh, from Studio Sixty last year, where uh, where Danny says, "You know." Maybe the phone companies could spend less time putting movies on my phone, and more t- more time letting me make a phone call with my phone, and I, and I can't agree more. But you know, th- there's a lot of handsets out there that actually can can now do both well, and uh, you know, it's always that thing: add a new feature, it, the other ones kind of dilute, and uh, and and in many cases, it's not it's not that way anymore. But you get like the, uh, for example, the iPhone, so you can do sort of widescreen d- display, and uh, in fact. Uh, Jamie Keys or James Keys, who is the uh, the chief executive of uh, Blockbuster, is has said you know he uses an iPhone and he says the Blockbuster is in talks with software companies about possible partnerships, but would not name who who they are in particular. He says he'd asked his technician to download movies from Blockbuster's MovieLink online service to a tiny storage card uh, that then goes in uh, to his BlackBerry. And he's saying you know this can be done easier. How do we make it convenient for everybody? And um, so what they're doing is looking for new ways to expand the business as consumers um, have an increasing number of entertainment options. You know, there's a whole lot of options and, uh, and you know, maybe when I'm on the go, I can have something to take with me. And uh, so, so they're exploring that. And it's, it's kind of interesting because it is a, uh, you know, certainly a new field. And uh, with everything that's going on with the writer's strike, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how, how, peop- how writers and uh, et cetera get uh, compensated. And uh, that's the latest. Okay, so... With regard to the to the writer's strike, uh, of course, they went uh, for talks again this past Monday, just after the Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, you knew when they were coming back to the table like that, that there had to be some kind of offer in place. Why does there have to be some kind of offer in place? Well, because the pilot season is coming up. In January is pilot season. And what that does is it allows everyone to produce their pilots so that they can be picked up or looked at for the upfronts, which happen in May. Why are the upfronts so important? money. That's that's what it's all about. The whole idea is that they go up there and they stand up in front of the uh, of the advertisers, and I've covered these many times, but they stand up there in front of the advertisers, and they say, here's the shows we've got coming up. What do you think? How much are you willing to pay for a spot on this show? Because here's what we're looking at. How much are you willing to spend? And what they do is they collect a lot of that money up front, hence the name. So uh, So what happens is this is billions of dollars of money coming in and basically helping to finance, you know, the production of all these pilots, finance, you know, people's salaries, all this kind of stuff, so that all this cash comes in. 
Well, this year, if there's no pilot season, then there's no upfronts. And at some point, advertisers are going to say, hey, you know what? We don't need to give you all this money uh, at, at the beginning because now we can, uh, make, we can maybe look at other ways of doing this. And that that is death for the networks. They're, that's what they're really scared about. So anyway, they came to the table with an offer. Um, and uh, basically what they call it, the, uh, the American Motion Picture and Television Producers uh, Society came forth and said that basically they put out what they called the New Economic Partnership. And so what this entails is, they say it's groundbreaking moves in several areas of new media, including streaming, content made for new media, and programming delivered over digital broadcast channels. The entire value of the new economic partnership was to deliver more than $130 million in additional compensation above and beyond more than $1.3 billion writers already receive each year. So basically, the Writers Guild said, okay, we want time to take a look over it. And uh, talks are supposed to resume on Tuesday, December 4th. The initial uh, response? Well, basically, the WGA is saying it's a bad deal. Um, They said, Thursday morning, the first new proposal was finally presented to us. It dealt only with streaming and made-for-internet jurisdiction and amounts to a massive rollback. For streaming television episodes, the company has proposed a residual structure of a single fixed payment of less than $250 for a year's reuse of an hour-long program, compared to over $20,000 payable for a network rerun. For theatrical product, they are offering no residuals whatsoever for streaming. For made-for-internet material, so this would include like the webisodes and that kind of stuff, they offered minimums that would allow a studio to produce up to a 15-minute episode of network-derived web content for a script fee of $1,300. They they continue to refuse to grant jurisdiction over original content for the internet. In their new proposal, they made absolutely no move on the download formula, which they proposed to pay at the DVD rate, and continued to assert that they can deem any reuse promotional, quote-unquote, and pay no residual, even if they replay the entire film or TV episode, and even if they make money. On Wednesday, we presented a comprehensive economic justification for our proposals. Our entire package would cost this history $151 million over three years, that's a little over a 3% increase in writer earnings each year, while company revenues are protect- projected to grow at a rate of 10%. We're falling behind. For Sony, this entire deal would cost $1.68 million per year. For Disney, $6.25 million. Paramount and CBS would each pay about $4.66 million. Warner, about $11.2 million. Fox, $6.04, blah, blah, blah. Um, and NBC Universal, I may as well read the last one, $7.44 million. MGM would pay 320000 and the entire universe of remaining companies would assume the remainder of about $8.3 million per year. As we've stated repeatedly, our proposals are more than reasonable, and the companies have no excuse for denying it. So there we have it. Uh, it's, it's still up in the air as to what's going to happen, and I guess we'll find out more next week. Anyway, that's all the time I got for today. Comments, as always, are welcome at poptopiapodcast at gmail.com or head over to our forum on the comic forums at www.thecomicforums.com. Have a great week.